Kids going back today? No? Okay. Good morning. I, I hope you have your Bibles today. If you do, turn with me to an Old Testament book, 1 Samuel chapter 24. 1 Samuel chapter 24. And we'll, uh, we'll get there in just a moment. Uh, I appreciate Aaron's story this morning of his girls. And um, it's interesting that um, in life, uh, even at an early age, uh, we, um, we have this desire when we feel that we have been offended or hurt or some injustice has occurred, that, that we want to get even. We want to right the wrong and set things in order. And uh, she had ridden my bike. She's not supposed to do that, right? So, so I'm going to figure out a way to, to enact my own justice uh, to that injustice. We call that in our world today, revenge. Getting back at someone is revenge. Revenge makes for a great story. There are hundreds, if not hundreds of thousands of stories throughout history. We can go all the way back to the book of Genesis in the beginning of time and see the roots of revenge in the story of Cain and Abel, two brothers. One enacting his justice on the injustice that he had experienced. Whenever there is an injustice, we love it when the injustice is not only corrected, but when sweet revenge is taken on the perpetrators of that injustice. So I begin to think about that. What about this idea of revenge? Where do we see it displayed most in life? I did a little research on the history of film. And I find it interesting that there are hundreds of movies that the theme, the main storyline of the movie is revenge. Now, there are thousands of movies that have that as a part of the plot or part of the movie, but, but hundreds of movies that have it as the main theme or storyline or plot of the movie for there to be revenge. As I begin to look at that, I begin to look a little bit further and research. It's also interesting to me that since 2000, that, that from 1900 to 2000, so 100 years of film, since then, in the last 20 years, there are more movies with the main theme, Revenge, than there were in the whole 100 years prior to. Now think about that. In 100 years of filmmaking, X number of movies about revenge being the main theme, the core of the movie. Since 2000, in the last 20 years, more movies with the main theme revenge than the first hundred years. I began to think about that. What, what does that mean? Well, what does that say about us as a society, as a people? That the movie industry feels that people are more accepting, embracing, uh, connected to revenge in the last 20 years than they have been in the previous 100 years. Why is that? 
And the only, and this, hey, this is just my theory, okay? This, this is just me thinking out loud, all right? In the beginning of next month, in fact, the 11th of September, we will recognize the 20-year anniversary of the most heinous crime perpetrated against American people on American soil in our history. And at that moment, people became angry at the world and what the world had done to us. And we became more accepting, more in tune with, more connected with revenge than ever before. And the movie industry has capitalized on that. They saw a pendulum swing. They saw a shift in the attitude of the people of America who wanted revenge at the people who would do something so horrible to us on our own soil. And when they saw that window open, they saw an opportunity to capitalize. And they have made more movies in the last 20 years that the main theme, the purpose of the movie, the plot of the whole thing was revenge than the first hundred years of filmmaking. It's just a theory. It's just my thoughts about a shift that we have seen in our country. And I think about that, and I think about how revenge makes for a great story, but it does not make for a good characteristic of an obedient believer. It's just not part of who we should be as Christians. And I think that revenge is something that, that sometimes we think is okay because of the injustice that has been experienced. If we go together over to the book of Romans, chapter 12. Now go ahead and leave, leave your finger there uh, in 1 Samuel because we're going to be back there in just a moment. But in Romans chapter 12, I want you to listen, to beginning in verse 18, to what God's Word says. If possible, now notice that, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge. Do you hear that? Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. He says, revenge should not be a part of the character of Christian people. In fact, he says, never take your own revenge. It should never be in our thoughts, in our hearts, in our being as Christians to say, I'm going to get them back. They're going to pay. I will see to it. He says, no. Never take your own revenge. But leave room for the wrath of God. In other words, he says, we're not the judge. Don't judge, don't condemn, don't pass the sentence. He says, 
you leave room for God to do what God will do. Leave room for the wrath of God, and he says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. It's not for us to pass judgment and sentence and and condemn someone and say they're going to get theirs. I'm going to make sure that they they suffer for what they did. I'm going to pay them back for what he said. No, we are never notice that word. He said, never seek your own revenge. Don't do that. It's not the character of a Christian person to be vengeful. It's not the character of a Christian person to seek revenge. Our natural fleshly self says, I'm going to pay them back. Our naturally, natural self-being says, I'm going to make sure they pay the price. But he says there's this war that's going on inside of us. And that it's the flesh against the spirit. And when the fleshly side says, I'm going to get revenge... The spiritual side needs to rise up and say, that's not our place. God says we are never to do that. And so spiritually, we have to be strong enough to say to the fleshly side, spiritually, this is not good for the character of a Christian. Why is that? Why is it not good for the character of a Christian to seek revenge or enact revenge on someone who has hurt or offended them? Because it damages our testimony and our witness and who God is. Because it destroys any ability that we have to influence others positively in the kingdom of God. Because they look at us and go, they're just like everybody else. They got hurt, they got offended, something happened, and they took matters into their own hands, and they sought revenge, and they paid them back. They're just like everybody else. And he says, we need to be different. People need to look at us differently than they do the rest of the world. And if we're living like the rest of the world and letting the fleshly desire to pay back or to seek revenge control us rather than the Spirit of God who says, never seek your own revenge, then we're just like everybody else. And the world can see right through us and say, why do I want any part of Christianity? Why do I want any part of Christ? Why do I want any part of the church? If that's what Christians live like, it's what everybody else lives like. And so we have to be very careful about allowing the natural fleshly side to capitalize and to seek revenge when God's Word says to us, never seek your own revenge. Never. So as I begin to think about that, I begin to think about King Saul and David. I begin to think about the events that unfolded between the two of them, and specifically in 1 Samuel chapter 24. And I hope you have your Bibles open there, and I hope you'll go with me and read along this morning. It is a fascinating story and a chain of events that unfold in regards to this. Now, it came about when Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. 
Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all of Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the rocks of the wild goats. Now, stop right there. Let's talk about this and set the stage for just a moment. Saul has been out as a king. He has been leading his army and his warriors in pursuit of the Philistines. He is, is battle-ready. He's been fighting. He's been leading his warriors. He, he's in the mindset of attack. He's been out pursuing. Notice that. It wasn't a defensive thing they were doing. He was pursuing. He was going after. He was in attack mode. And when he returns, still being in attack mode, somebody comes to him and says, Hey, Saul, you want to know where David's at? I mean, they were just getting him going, right? He was already in attack mode. Hey, Saul, want to know where David's at? Yeah, I do. Here's where he's at. All right. 3,000 guys. Let's, hey, the best of the best. I mean, these are like the Navy SEALs, right? They're, they're the best of the best. And we're going after him. And he loads up and he heads out after David. That's the scene. He's already in attack mode. He, he's, he's bloodthirsty, if you would, after chasing the Philistines. And now he's got his men and he's going after David and his men. He is in hot pursuit of his enemy, is what he thinks. Pick up in verse 3. And he came to the sheepfolds on the way, and there was a cave. And Saul went in to relieve himself. Now, David and his men were sitting in the inner recesses of the cave. Imagine that. <laughs> David and his men are already in the cave. Saul comes upon the cave, and for some relief from the heat and some rest, he decides he's going to go inside, and he's going to get a little rest. He's going to get some, some relief from the heat and the sun and the things that are going on. And when he goes into the cave, guess what? David and his men are already inside the cave. They're deeper in the cave behind him. And the men of David said to him, Behold, this is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I'm about to give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. And then David rose, and he cut off the edge of Saul's robe secretly. And it came about afterwards that David's conscience bothered him because he had cut off the edge of Saul's robe. Let's stop there for a minute. Really pretty entertaining, isn't it? Think about Saul has 3,000 men, best of the best soldiers. He's coming after David. He's pursuing him. He wants to, to put him to death because he is the enemy. David and his men are in a cave. Saul comes along, goes into the same cave. As he's in the cave resting, David's men are like, this is it, man. This is it, revenge. We're going to get him now. He's going to get what's coming to him. We're going to pay him back. And David sneaks over to where Saul's sleeping, resting, and he cuts off the edge of his robe. And then he sneaks back with the rest of his men. And guess what happens? His conscience begins to bother him. Really? Really? Your conscience bothers you that you, oh, you soiled his robe. You cut a little piece off of his garment. That really begins to bother you, David. It begins to eat away at his conscience. Why? Because he is a man who loves God. And Saul... God's anointed king. Let's move on in the story. 
And so he said to his men, Far be it from me because of the Lord that I should do this thing to my Lord. The Lord's anointed to stretch out my hand against him since he is the Lord's anointed. David persuaded his men with these words and did not allow them to rise up against Saul. And Saul arose and left the cave and went on his way. Now afterward, David arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, saying, My Lord the king! And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the ground and prostrated himself. Honoring God's elect, a man who was seeking to take his life, a man who he had the opportunity to enact his revenge and take his life in that cave. And when he calls out his name and Saul turns around, he falls before him because he is the anointed one of God. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men, saying, Behold, David seeks to harm you? Behold, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord had given you today into my hand in the cave. And some said to kill you, but my eye had pity on you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Now my father, see, indeed, see the edge of your robe in my hand. For in that I cut off the edge of your robe, I did not kill you. Know and perceive that there is no evil or rebellion in my hands. I have not sinned against you. Though you are lying in wait for my life to take it. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. Never seek your own revenge. David knew that lesson long before it was ever written in the Word. Never seek your own revenge. As the proverb of the ancients say, out of the wicked comes forth wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom are you pursuing? A dead dog? A single flea? The Lord therefore be judge and decide between you and me, and may he see and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. David says, listen, Saul, why are you after me? If I wanted to do evil to you, I could have already done it. The opportunity presented itself, and I did not. I have evidence of that. Here's the piece of your robe that shows that I was that close with a knife or a sword in my hand to cut this piece off of your robe, and I did not harm you, and you didn't know I was there. Think about what he was saying to Saul. Saul, why are you pursuing me? You're listening to men who say that there's this enmity between you and I. There's this struggle. And David said, it's not there. You're the anointed man of God, and I will honor you as the anointed man of God. I will bring no harm against you. Why are you pursuing me? And as we think about this story and the opportunity for revenge, there are three things. I want to share with you just quickly. The first one is this. Unresolved guilt leads to unnecessary and sometimes irrational fears. Saul had mistreated David from early on in their relationship. 
He had done a, a multitude of various things against David, and he now felt guilty. He felt guilty because David had never done anything to deserve that. David had never done anything towards Saul in any way of evil or wicked or, or aggressive or trying to dethrone him from his position. But Saul had continually mistreated David, and suddenly the guilt began to affect him. And suddenly he began to develop these fears of who David was. He began to listen to other people and what they were saying about David and what he was trying to do. And in the midst of all of that guilt, he had this, this, this fear that began to cause him to act irrationally in life. That's what fear does to us. That's how fear can affect us. That's how guilt can affect us. When we feel guilty and we have unresolved guilt in our life and we have not sought forgiveness and not, not asked God to forgiveness and not dealt with that forgiveness in our life, then that guilt begins to eat away and that guilt begins to cause us to point fingers and to accuse and all of a sudden to blame other people for all kinds of things in life and we become afraid. And in our fear, we act irrationally. Saul was acting irrationally because he was guilty and that guilt had generated a fear and that fear was causing him to do things that he would not normally do. Ever been there? Ever been guilty in your life and because of the guilt that began to eat away at you, you began to fear that people knew something or, or they suspected something. Or, and, and so the guilt that you have, you think they know about this, they're, they're looking at me funny, they're judging me differently. And suddenly I begin to develop a fear about what people are thinking about me, how people are feeling about me because I'm guilty of these things and I know that they know when in reality they don't know. And suddenly we allow that fear to cause us to do irrational things. We strike out at people that we love and we care about. We push away those who care about us and desire to help us. And we push ourselves into a corner out of the fear that we have that's developed out of a guilt that, that has brought about an irrational behavior. All of us have either experienced that ourselves or we know people who have acted that way. Out of gear, guilt... They live in fear, and out of fear, they act irrationally. First John chapter 4 and verse 18 says this, Perfect love will defeat fear. The love of God will destroy that fear. Listen, David did not act irrationally because he had the love of God in his heart. David did not act in a manner that he would seek his own revenge on Saul for the way he treated him because he had the love of God in his heart. Perfect love will always defeat fear, which generates irrational behavior in our lives. Second thing is this. Revenge feeds the flesh and destroys the soul. We read that in Romans earlier when he said, Do not seek your own revenge, but allow room for the wrath of God and that Vengeance is his, thus saith the Lord. But let's continue in that passage for just a moment and see as, as he continues that. He says this in verse 20. But, okay, so here's what he said. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 
He says, when you are facing something in your life that someone has hurt, offended, done something to you in some way, he said, do not seek your own revenge. Allow God to take care of that. If they have become your enemy, he says, here's what you do. Take care of them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. If they're hungry, give them something to eat. He says, do not allow evil to respond to evil, but overcome that evil with the good of God. We need to understand the impact of that and what that does to what? Our witness and our testimony as believers. You see, revenge destroys that testimony. Revenge feeds the flesh and destroys it, but forgiveness, kindness, acts of love and mercy, they feed the soul. And our testimony is strengthened when people look and say, I can't believe after the way they treated them that they would be so nice to them. I can't believe they don't have any idea these people are running around saying these things and telling these lies and all this stuff about them. And all the while, they're just treating them as nice as they can. What does that do to our testimony? It says we are much stronger people than people think we are. It says we are more committed and more devoted to our Lord than people believe us to be. It stands to show the power of God and the presence of God. It stands to show the love of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God. That when people mistreat us, we can in kind treat them the way that God expects us to treat them and that we should treat them. And that is not a show of weakness. That is a display of strength. And it builds our testimony to the rest of the world. Fourth and final thing is this. Respect will often protect us from wrong responses of revenge. David had respect for Saul. Even though Saul was his enemy. Even though Saul sought to take his life. David respected him because of his position and because he was anointed by God. And it kept him from enacting his own revenge and taking matters into his own hands. Oftentimes, respect for others will protect us from wrong responses of revenge. It will keep us from doing things that we should not do. That will what? Damage our testimony as believers. It's about our Christian faith. It's about our Christian example. It's about our Christian focus and how others perceive God living in us. And so this morning... I want to encourage you that we would resist revenge in our lives. That when someone hurts us or offends us or does something against us, that we not yield to the idea, the fleshly idea of revenge, but that we remain faithful to God, obedient to His plan, and that we would respond with kindness, mercy, forgiveness so that our testimony is strengthened for the rest of the world to see Christ living in us. This morning as we prepare for our invitation hymn, I want to invite you, if you've been living your life and possibly with some guilt about how you've treated someone, and that guilt has generated in you some fears about what people might think or believe about you or how it affects your relationship with the Lord, 
love, God's love, can cast out that fear today. We can change that. You don't have to live with that guilt and that fear. If you're here today and someone has hurt you and offended you in some way, and and your heart has been about revenge, about paying them back for what they've done, you you can be set free from that today. Only through the blood of Christ and through the sacrifice of the cross, but you can be set free.